Well, if you have never taken a little bit of time, even as we sing uh, the song, It Is Well With My Soul, to read Horatio, uh, Horatio Spafford's uh, uh, you know, story behind It Is Well With My Soul, uh, it would benefit you and encourage you just to, to hear all the context that exploded in such a powerful uh, hymn that has been sang for so many years. And you get to that culmination, don't you? And you just think about that day where we're going to stand before the throne and he's going to welcome us to be part of, of the, the household of heaven. And that is going to be an incredibly glorious day. Well, why can we be welcomed? Well, it's because we're forgiven. Forgiven people who have come and repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus Christ will be welcomed into the family and the household of God. And now as we continue on our series of the subject of forgiveness this morning is going to be very practical. I want to really dive in now to the practice, uh, the principles for practicing forgiveness. Once you understand what forgiveness is and how it has and comes with this limitless nature of pardoning people as a result of offending them because of sin, there is this glorious reality that forgiveness does in the life of the believer. And it's not just so that we can say, uh, it's, just, it's not just so that we can experience unity, although that's one of the benefits of forgiveness, but one of the main theological understandings of forgiveness is that every time you and I practice forgiving another person, we are forced to be reminded, if our heart is in the right place, to be reminded of what the forgiveness that has been offered to us through Jesus Christ and be wowed at him and the way that he has forgiven us all the burden of our sins. Open your Bible this morning. We're going to be uh, in Colossians, uh, at least to begin with. Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 12 and 13. We've been touching on this verse in, in a number of different verses. And keep your Bible handy because as we walk through this, uh, we're going to be in a lot of places today because as we said, as we develop this theology of forgiveness and now moving into the practicality, recognize the, the value of this. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now let's just remind ourselves for a moment of our definition that we've been working on over the course of this series, that forgiveness is the act of pardoning people. Recognize pardoning has to do with sin. When sin occurs, a pardon needs to take place. Just as it happened when you repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior, there was sin in your life. You went before the heavenly father through the work of the son on the cross and the shed blood that he had spilt for you. And you said, please forgive me of my sin. You don't ask forgiveness from things. Uh, you know, this is a, you know, we don't say, God, forgive me for the family that you put me in. Forgive me for the parents that I have. Sin is always in connection with pardoning. So forgiveness is the act of pardoning sin with a heart of mercy. This is the heart of the mercy that you and I are supposed to then be so benevolent like the benevolence of the Father who sent the Son, who is willing to allow the Spirit to reside in you and in me when we repent and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. There's something about mercy, brothers and sisters, that is so beautiful. You want to think about how could you be a more beautiful Christian? How could you have a more beautiful character? I'll tell you what, when you see mercy and you watch people, have you known some people you know people in your life who you, who you would honestly say, that person appears to have such a sense of a merciful spirit. Can I, can I just encourage you? Get with that person. 
Be around that person. Because there's something beautiful about mercy, and if they're doing it right, which hopefully they are, it is because of the mercy that's been displayed to them. And you can see that. Now, what's all of this for? It's for the sake of restoration. Now, when we come to the practice, uh, the principles of practicing forgiveness, all of this would make no sense if it doesn't get us somewhere. Notice where it where we arrive after repentance and faith. When God pardons us of our sin because of his genuine heart of mercy and compassion, it makes way and alleviates us from experience what Romans 1.18 says, wrath of God, because the wrath of God is coming against all ungodliness, and it makes way for mercy and restoration. Do you realize this? If you are here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you've never repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior, here is the reality of your condition. God is filled with wrath against sin that resides within your heart. You were born with sin. I was born with sin. But I must come to a conclusion that that sin that resides in my heart and that I am a depraved individual, and that all occurred because Adam and Eve sinned, and now I inherit, and you an inherited sin, and Adam is our head, we are sinners. And without that, the wrath of God is coming against all ungodliness. So you know what that means? This is a scary situation. The wrath of God is coming, and it And it will be applied not just to the world at large, but to the people who have rejected the very mercies of God, who he benevolently benevolently given to all people who are willing to repent and trust in Jesus Christ. Here's what I want for you. I desperately do not want you to have to experience the very wrath of a holy and just God, when he has so graciously and benevolently given mercy instead. That can be your story. That can be your life. And you know what he does? He moves from pardoning sin because of his mercy to an act of restoration, and he welcomes you in, which means that we can't just say, I forgive you, but I have no desire to be anywhere near you. If you've forgiven someone who's close to you, the reality of that genuine, merciful spirit ought to result in a desire to work on becoming close and united in Christ. You cannot be satisfied with saying, you know what? Uh, Oh, that dear brother and sister, yeah, we had things against us. Oh, but we took it and we forgave each other. And now we just, they sit over there and I sit over here and they go out that door and I go out this door and the two of us shall never meet again. That is wrong. If you have not forgiven in a way that is drawing you towards restoration. That doesn't mean instantaneous, although it is with God. We are restored instantaneously in justification. But horizontally in relationships, it will take time to mend what was broken, and yet what happens to accelerate it is genuine forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, don't be comfortable with living lives where you're just at odds with people who you just look over and in worship or in small group or whatever context of life that you live and just say, yeah, we just don't like each other, but we work, we're Christians. There's something wrong with that overall disposition as a believer. It doesn't mean you're best friends with every single person, clearly, but you shouldn't have something that, that hinders a level of relationship, especially sin. When there is a solution, and the solution is forgiveness because of what Jesus has done to forgive us. Remember this in the process. Forgiveness is not a feeling, although being forgiven feels good. Forgiveness is an act by which sin is pardoned. It's factual. Although when every time we are forgiven. Okay, think about that person that you're close to, that close friend, that spouse, that child. One of the most remarkable things about little children 
is that when, uh, all, all the time when my kids were little and we would grow up and there were times where, of course, like uh, I needed the parenting class too that I just mentioned to you this morning. And all of a sudden, you have a short tone, and, 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 your mind, and, your, and your heart is overflowing out of your mouth, and you're looking at the tears of that little weeping child like, why did you talk to me that way? And then you go back to them, and you say, Daddy was wrong. Daddy was not showing a heart of kindness, gentleness, And sweetheart, son, would you forgive me? Oh, I remember when they were three to five years old and they would look up at me and they would, I forgive you, daddy. And they would wrap their arms around me instantaneously without any thought whatsoever because they so desperately desired to have the familial relationship restored when something was wrong. That's what God is like with us. He wants us to come to him. If you're here and you've never repented of your sin, he wants you there. He's provided salvation for all the world so that you could repent and he will apply the spirit of God to your life. Forgiveness is factual. It's based on biblical precedent and biblical commands and a life that is lived by Jesus Christ, the righteous and the merciful. While forgiveness is not a feeling, but it does feel good, forgiveness is also a promise. So when you say those words, I forgive you, don't offer those words lightly out of your mouth. When we read Colossians 3, and he says, forbearing one another and forgiving as Christ has forgiven you. Recognize that forgiveness that was displayed before you, that brought you to a point to forgive other people, was not free. It was purchased by blood. And it wasn't yours, and it wasn't mine. It was the Son of God. And that forgiveness was purchased Let me say this, that means that if we understand forgiveness right, then I'm sorry is not going to cut it. So much in our culture, people are so fixated on this reality of using those words, I'm sorry. Like, you probably heard it a lot, even this week. Sorry, sorry. I remember when my kids were little, because we were teaching them this principle of forgiveness, and they would be fighting in their rooms with each other, and we would come in, and we'd say, all right, what's going on here, and who took a toy, and who shoved someone, and we're working on reconciliation and restoration, and one would come back to the other, and I would kind of comically sit back in the corner and watch this whole transaction uh, look to take place. And, and even as they were little, they could wrap their minds around something's wrong, something's broken, and someone needs, someone has offended me and sinned, and now they need to go ahead and ask for forgiveness. And one would come to the other, and I could remember it in the toy room like it was yesterday, and all of a sudden, one would say, I'm sorry. And the one who was offended would step back for a moment and go, Why don't you tell me for what? Because I want to know what you're sorry about. Because if it's not what I'm thinking, then maybe you don't have it right. See, sorry doesn't cut it because sorry, uh, sorrow, you can have sorrow without repentance. You can have sorrow without forgiveness. And I can just be sorry that you got, that I was caught. We're going to talk about more about that in one last sermon of this forgiveness series next week out of 2 Corinthians 7. Sorrow is good when sorrow is genuine because sorrow leads, if it's rightly done, to a spirit of genuine repentance and forgiveness. Sorrow alone does not express the depth of what forgiveness is supposed to display. Is this an interesting proverb? Proverbs 17, 1. Better, uh, better is a dry morsel with, a, with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. How do you get a peaceful home? I'll tell you what, you will not ever have a peaceful home if everybody in the family is unwilling to forgive one another. Because there is so much, when you, I mean, pack a bunch of sinners in a household 
And you know, we've been living in a 1,200 square foot rental house right now. And all of us, uh, for a while, we're kind of like, where do we go? Like, you're just going to sin right there, aren't you? And I'm going to watch because I got nowhere else to go. You put them together, what's going to happen when you get in the body? You put them together and you're bound to be sin. You're sinning and getting sinned against. Better is a dry morsel with quietness than having all feasting in the world and yet not have a forgiven, uh, a forgiven disposition. Now here's our main perspective this morning. Forgiveness frees the offender and provides the foundation for continued restoration. Okay? Forgiveness frees the offender and provides a foundation for the offended and the offender for continued restoration. This becomes critical. Okay? Forgiveness, of course, doesn't mean you forget the offense and God doesn't forget what you and I have done. We clearly understand that in Israel's case because all throughout the New Testament, and if he had legitimately forgotten it, then why does he keep using Israel in the wilderness as an Old Testament, as an illustration of what not to do? He knows what they did, but he doesn't hold it against us anymore, and that's the point. And just as forgiveness is limitless to the person who has been offended against, and they are called to forgive on a limitless level, so too the promise that you make when you say, I forgive, is a limitless response to not bring it up again in your mind and to other people and so on and so forth, so that it will ruin that relationship. But think about it. If you, when you forgive and when I forgive, we are so like Christ, then we better really appreciate it when somebody says those words, I forgive you. I mean, apart from Christ, I would honestly say that my wife and my family have forgiven me more than any other person here on earth because of the close-knit family unity that you have. And when that happens and, and they say, I forgive you, I know that there is a commitment there. There is a commitment to restore and, and have an enjoyable relationship once again. Now, in order to have all of that and practice the principles of forgiveness, here's the first step, which is often disregarded. Okay, take your Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1. And all of this is built off of, now as you turn here, I'm going to give another proverbial statement that is given in Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of your life. You know what that means? That means how you think, what you love, and what you do are all a result of what's going on in your heart. If you don't guard your heart and you become an unforgiving kind of person or you won't forgive other people, what does that say about you? And what does that say about your heart? And what does that say about what you think about Jesus and his forgiveness and mercy and compassion? Proverbs 4.23 is a critical understanding of helping us get to the bottom and practicing forgiveness because we often stay at the external level. You notice this? Forgive me for, and then we list what we did. But you realize that's just what, happened at the end of the situation. That's not what started the situation. So we wanna tuck that away for a moment as we begin to think about how to practice these principles of forgiveness because it has to be deeper than just forgiveness of behavior alone. Because behavior, the fruit of your life comes because of roots in your life. There's roots that are going on that are producing various fruits. And that's what Proverbs 4.23 is trying to help us with. Now look at Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, what is the point of this? The point of this is, if you see that someone is caught in a transgression, whether that's a sinful practice or sinful lifestyle or a sinful offense against someone, and, and no one seems to care, you should care. 
Remember back in Matthew 18 and verse 21 to 33, when the servants heard about the way that the wicked servant responded to the pardoning of all of his debt, and the servants heard it, and they had a problem with it and went to the master, there is a sense in which we bear a responsibility collectively to say, you've got to forgive, brother or sister. We can't live like this, and this doesn't honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it becomes critical for us to remember that when things happen and sin occurs and people are unwilling, it may mean, and this is uncomfortable for most, you might have to actually confront someone. I know everybody thinks of confrontation and they're already fearful. Because no one really likes confrontation, but what will happen if people won't be forgiving Well, we're going to have to graciously come alongside one another. But remember, pray lest you too be tempted. What's the point of this? Bearing one another's burdens. We saw that in Colossians 3. Being forbearing and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay? Now, but as we prepare our heart for the practice of forgiveness, we, we can't just stay there. We know Proverbs 4.23. We understand 1 Peter 4.8, where it says love covers a multitude of sins. How does love do that? Forgiveness. He, he builds that into the transaction so that you can be forgiven. And what does 1 Corinthians 13 teach us? This great chapter on love. Well, you can't hold a record of wrongs if you're gonna genuinely love people, which means when forgiveness takes place, since you don't forget it, you have to remember it and not hold it against them. I would just pause for a moment and ask you the question, how well do you do at not holding things against people who, who have done things against you sinfully and have repented and, and are forgiven do you still kind of want to be like, don't come near me yet? Be careful that you don't stay at a hand length away from the people that God puts you around to influence and stir you up to love and good works because your heart's disposition is not desirous of restoration. That is so critical. Now, what complicates this? Turn to James chapter 4. Okay, because in James, when we think about this, we think conflict. Well, conflict happens and forgiveness needs to take place. But notice this in in the book of James. James chapter 1 says a remarkable statement as we flesh this out, especially in reference to forgiveness. James 4.1 says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your desires are at war within you, your passions? You want something that you didn't get. And so you got frustrated. I don't know anybody who doesn't get angry over something. Now, praise God, anger, as you realize it, we, we, we recognize its sinful disposition. But if all I ever did, if I got angry, was to say, well, forgive me for my anger. For, and then three minutes later, I blew up again. Hey, forgive me for my anger. And then five minutes later than that, I said, hey, forgive me for my anger. At what particular point do you start wondering, I don't think you mean what you think you mean, right? I mean, after a while, why is it that when it comes to the outward behavior, we tend to stop? It was very transformative for my own marriage because in the early stages of our marital life prior to having kids, we struggled with being forgiving people and it was wreaking havoc on my marriage. I can remember moments where I just didn't want to forgive. Like I thought, no, you first. You know, we do this routine in our own minds where we do something justification-wise. We're like, you know what? If, if you do it, then, then I'll do it. But I'm gonna wait to see if you do it. Or we do something different. We say something like, well, you know, the Lord has really shown me that I was really wrong and wicked and I shouldn't have used this tone. And so, sorry, do you forgive me? They say, yes. And then I'd stand there and be like, Okay, let's, it's your turn. Like, I'm not going to be the only humble one in this room. 
Like we're doing this together, baby. Otherwise it ain't happening at all. We struggled so much with recognizing the power and necessity of forgiveness that it was destroying our relationship. But when the Father, the Father of Heaven saw gracious, uh, His gracious hand to put another believer into my life who would begin to mentor me and help me understand the forgiveness of God and the forgiveness that needs to be offered to other people, I remember coming home and having genuine repentance for the first time with my wife and not just saying, please forgive me for my angry outburst. It was, sweetheart, I do need forgiveness for my angry tone, my outburst at you. It's not right. And when I, you know why that happened? It was because I was loving something other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believed that this was going to bring me satisfaction. And when I saw you standing in the way of what I believe I wanted, what I thought was gonna bring me security, satisfaction, and joy, uh, what I believed turned into what I loved, and what I loved turned into what, I, what produced, which was my anger. And I need forgiveness for all of it from you. Because I went to the Lord and I asked him for forgiveness and he forgave me for my anger and he forgave me for my lack of love towards him and others because I was believing this wicked way of living that I could just justify myself and I don't have to because I'm justified. And it freed me from having a life and a, and a marriage that is restored. And I'll tell you, it was ugly. I look back at that moment and I think, Yuck! Who was that person? Who was that person who could go to, to, to work with his wife and drive an hour together in the same car and then work in the same uh, basement at this store for weeks on end? And yet when I was so angry enough, all of a sudden, I just, I just wouldn't talk. And we could just do that. You think, no, you, no one can get there. Oh, you can get there, friend. And if you and I are not committed, we end up living whole lives, whole marriages, whole families, whole church existence like that. And the power of forgiveness frees us when we recognize that our heart is the problem. The desires that wage war. So now as we practice, I'm going to give you, and we're going to go quick, okay? Because you're thinking, oh man, buckle up. But I gave you an extra handout today so I could go faster. So if you got it in your bulletin, this is for you to take home with you. A number of questions that you could perhaps keep in your Bible, keep in a place when, when offense has been taken, that you begin to prepare your heart. Here's question number one. Do I desire to, to be right more than I desire to love the other person? If 1 Peter 4, 8 says, love covers a multitude of sin, then this idea of being right instead of being loving is against what God says. 1 Corinthians 13, notice, turn there just for a moment. 1 Corinthians 13, this great chapter on love, look at verses 4 through 7 in, in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant, which means it's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. If you and I were to desire to be right more than we desire to love the other person and obey God, we will always create and generate more conflict in your own life and relationships. And this is the part of our problem for all of us in this room is if you notice this word that the Bible uses, this word is pride. If you want to wonder what keeps you from being a forgiving person, humbling yourself, being a merciful, compassionate, tender-hearted person, you know what it is? It's pride. When you refuse to humble yourself, even before God and other people, there is something about you that just wants to be right and justified. Now, what you wonder, well, why does he bring up illustrations of anger? Because anger is an emotion of justice. It's an emotion that we get or a response of justice. I'm against that. Someone did something against me. 
And when sin happens, someone did do something to offend you and sin against you. We can often see the glimpses of perhaps where sin is taking place when we ask ourselves the question, what am I angry over? What did I want? But if you desire to be right more than you desire to love people, then all you are is going to be that talking head. I can remember in a situation uh, uh, that I was working with a couple a long, long time ago, and I remember there was all kinds of, uh, of, of conflict going on, and one of them said to the other, they said this, I'll tell you, the husband said, I'll tell you what the problem is. The problem is I'm a truth teller, and she can't handle the truth. And if she could just handle the truth, then everything would be just fine. Now, would it have been fine? No, because I said to him, what about love? Like, would you describe the way and what you're doing as loving? Well, he had a hard time with that. Because if all of a sudden we become so adamant about truth, we forget a whole bunch of other principles to to wonder and prepare our heart. And these are heart preparation questions. Even before you get to the point of forgiving, you have to ask yourself, is this my heart's desire? I just want them to know. You are right. Like I've, I've watched couples say things like, go ahead, say it. I want to hear it with my ears. You're right. Are you satisfied? Like, it doesn't satisfy you, does it? The only satisfaction that you and I can experience is not to be right, it's to be right with God. And you and I, we can do that. We can be right with God and right with others when we forgive. But you've got to make sure your heart is in the right place because you'll just give some superficial offer of forgiveness but not really mean it from your heart. Look at this question. Do I desire revenge or delight in responding with mercy. I mean, flip over to Romans chapter 12 for a moment because it's such an incredible passage that deals with this particular situation. Romans chapter 12, uh, built on all of this theology, starts with don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, go all the way down to verse number 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Pause for a moment. How can you bless a person? You can have a heart that is ready to forgive. Okay? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or prideful, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In fact, it says to the contrary. You notice this? If your enemy's hungry, feed them. I mean, don't get this picture. Those of you who are wives and you're fixing food, like you're forgiving and come and slam down their dinner plate. Forgiven. Hope you like your food. I poisoned it. (laughs) We'll take care of this. Forgiveness matches in tone and delicateness this reasonable spirit of mercy that says, I know that I could hold something against you, but I refuse to do it. I refuse to speak unkind and uncompassionate, and I refuse because I want to delight in mercy. Believers, be merciful. Mercy is so good because it displays the mercies of God. Mercies of God. What about this? Am I willing to listen or do I just want to be heard? You know, do you wait for that moment? You, you, you ever experienced this in relationships with somebody and you're talking with somebody and you just know, like, they're just waiting for your mouth to stop moving so that they can interject and say, but I've got something to say about that and I do need forgiveness, but there's some justification here. See, if you can't listen, Proverbs eighteen thirteen says, it's a fool's disposition if he doesn't, He becomes a fool if he doesn't listen and hear the whole matter first. 
If he tries to make a preconceived judgment based upon what he thinks is going on or she thinks is going on, he's going to come to the wrong conclusion. Instead of listening, he'll be accusing. Instead of listening, maybe you'll realize you had more of a part to play in the process than you realized. Be a listener. And listening's hard, isn't it? Have you ever tried to listen to someone who's just talking about themselves? You're thinking, I'm going to love them right now. Like, keep going. You know, listening is such an incredible skill that every believer I know needs to learn and practice and grow in. We need to listen to what's going on in our marriages. We need to listen to what's happening with our children. We need to listen to what's going on in our lives. Elders need to listen to what's happening in the life of the congregation. Listen, listen, listen. Before you come to make various points of judgment. Because so often we want to jump to an assumption and come to a conclusion without any of the facts whatsoever. This is why God in his sovereign wisdom can be completely impartial to people. He knows everyone's whole story, and he is able to sift it all out. Be willing to listen. Don't just be a person and say, no, you're going to hear. Now, I've often heard people say, well, here's a practice then. Uh, if you're going to prepare this, all right, you get two minutes to talk, and then I get two minutes to talk, and no one's allowed to interrupt each other, so you interrupt me in two minutes. I'm done. Like, it doesn't have to be this formulaic reality what I would say to you is, can you not show deference and humility to each other and love one another enough to say, okay, you know what, why don't you go first? Because I may have some of my facts wrong. You know, what's that going to look like? You know, if, if two people are loving each other enough to do that, they're like, no, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. Like, Somebody's going to go here. All right, I'll go. We have to have that disposition in our hearts to be willing to listen. What about this one? Do I have a clear vision of the situation that brought conflict? I mean, Matthew chapter seven, verse three and five talks about the principle that you're very familiar with and you can see it there and you can look it up, but it's this speck and log principle. All of a sudden you go to try to tell someone else, and this is the illustration Jesus gives, he says the problem is, is you've got a log in your own eye and you're trying to take out a speck out of somebody else's eye. You cannot see clearly because of what's going on in your own vision impairments. Have you ever done that in relationships? And all of a sudden somebody says to you, like, you get done with some ranting about something that you think was so un, uh, unjustified and, and you think you're all right and you're all haughty and prideful. And then the person goes, did you know this piece of information? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, Why? I didn't really listen. <laughs> I was more interested in getting what I wanted than I was about listening, and that led me to an assumption, and all of a sudden I had no clear vision, and I'm trying to take a speck with a log in my own eye. Brothers and sisters, be very mindful. This happens frequently in the life of congregations. Maintain a clear vision. What about this? Is your heart humble enough to recognize any contribution you made, you had, you had in the conflict? Can you, can you honestly come back and say, I know you sinned against me, but then I wasn't ready to forgive you. So then I sinned against you, so I know you need forgiveness from me, but then I also need to, for, for you to forgive me. And I know you said it this way, and, and this was wrong, but you know what? I also need forgiveness because I lashed out at you, and even though we're trying to figure this out, we're sinning back and forth at each other because of the desires of our heart. We are a mess. Sometimes I've looked at my wife in the midst of different argumentations, and we just think, we look at each other, and I know she's looking at me, and, she's, and we're thinking to each other, we're a mess. Yes, marriages are challenging, your relationships and the, the relationships you have are challenging, which means the more that we can dive into practicing forgiveness, the more beneficial this will become. 
I love Jesus' remarks, and I can't, don't have time to turn there, but in Mark chapter 10, when the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, and they're, they're kind of setting up their, their throne rooms in some sense, and all of a sudden, James and John come to him, and all the rest of the disciples are angry because of what's going on, and then Jesus grabs a little child and says, boys, <laughs> if you don't become like this humble little child, there is a need for humility. Proverbs 29 30, uh, Proverbs 29, 25 says this, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Before who? Before God. Am I filled with sinful anxiety and anger over conflict and offenses that people have done to me? Do I dwell on them? Do I worry about them? There's no doubt that in Philippians 4, if you, when you turn there, and we just walked through this entire book of Philippians, you can go back and listen to it uh, on, the, on the YouTube channel at, at, at the chapel. But I would encourage you, there's a reason why he says, don't be anxious about anything. It comes right out of the context of Yodi and Syntyche and the struggle of preferences. It's easy for us to all of a sudden become so sinfully anxious about it and all of a sudden say, what are they going to think about me? And I don't know if I could go to them and I don't know if I could do that. I just fear people so much and I just want to be right. So I'll just forgive, but I don't want to make the transaction. We bring all kinds of justification to our theology because we just refuse to forgive in a way that's pleasing to God. Here's another telltale sign of your heart being ready. Am I able to pray for genuine growth of the individual that I'm in conflict with? Like, you can't even pray for them? Like, God, we need your help. I mean, even in Matthew 18, he says, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst. That's the issue of conflict, of sin. And who's there present? Jesus will be present through the work of the Spirit of God, and he will help us make things right. What about this? Am I willing to be reasonable and think rightly about those I disagree with? Philippians 4, 8 says, let your reasonableness be known to all. This is the idea in the language that says gentle reasonableness. Can you disagree and be reasonable and gracious at the same time? Or do people walk away and all of a sudden always have to say, they just, their opinion is so held so strongly. It's like if somebody even remotely disagrees, guess what? When it comes to sin, if you're not reasonable saying, God expects me to forgive, therefore I must forgive. When you say, no, I'm not going to do that, that is unreasonable. There's no reason to say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to pursue uh, restoration. What about this? Am I assuming any motives of the other individual? I'm in conflict with. And this happens so often because people, especially I find in close relationships, they'll do something like this. And they'll say these kinds of words. Like, I just have this sixth sense. I can know when they're thinking something. No, you can't. No, you can't. You don't know their heart. You don't know their mind. You can't see in there. Only God can do that. And so whatever conclusion you come to, it might be based on a pretty good understanding of knowing the person, but you can't see into their heart, which means you have to listen. You have to ask questions. Can you tell me this? What was going on? What were you thinking here? Please share with me because I'm failing to understand this and I would like to understand but if we jump to motives, we'll say things like, you know what, you're just out to get me. I knew it. I knew I should have trusted so-and-so who told me to stay away from you, and I didn't trust my intuition, and now look where it got me. I have heard that so often over years of ministry because people aren't guarding the reality, but they're assuming motivation. What about this? Have I waited too long to deal with this situation? Too often believers are waiting so long to be able to correct things that could be corrected in such a way that you could resolve them and restore them. This is so important. This is a reason why in Ephesians 4.26 he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Which is so ironic because it always tends to go down before, uh, after I already got angry anyway. So that's not the point. The point is, resolve things in a timely manner. 
Don't just let sun go down after sun go down after sun go down. And then you get learned and accustomed to living with going, hmm, I just don't like him and I'm okay with it. Do you realize Christian people get to those points in their life where they just get accustomed in their character and are okay with just living at odds with people? It's not right. We must seek this as far as it depends upon us. And of course, that statement is made in Romans 12 because it's transactional. Sometimes there's only so much you can do, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Is this the right time to discuss it? Notice Proverbs. When you think about these, a word fitly spoken, Proverbs said, is like apples of gold and settings of silver. He says things like, Don't speak to a fool according to his folly. And then the next proverb is, speak to a fool according to his folly. What he's saying is, say the right things at the right time and it will go much better. But be mindful of your words because they can be piercing or healing. And if we're not, then all of a sudden we create more conflict than is necessary. And this last one, do I desire to pursue peace? as far as it depends upon me? Will I do whatever is necessary for me to be at peace, even if the other person doesn't desire it? Because the only person you can control in the transaction is who? It's you. It's me. I can only control me. And so, and I have a hard time doing that. But when they don't, what if they don't? And all of a sudden you can go, you know, I know that you were reluctant to, to, to forgive or you were reluctant to hear me out, but I really need to talk to you because there's no other place that I can go other than to ask you for forgiveness because this is what the Bible says. I've got no other place to go is other than begging for mercy. I genuinely sinned. Please show mercy. When you can go with that forgiving, with, with that merciful spirit, when you know you're wrong, it will be less concerning to to you whether or not what it looks like for you to humble yourself. You just want to have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with other people. And then you'll abandon all this other people-pleasing mentality like, oh, now what are they going to think about me? And now every time they look at me, they're going to think this because I'm not this kind of person. They already know you're a wicked sinner, okay? We know that about each other. That's why we're here, is it not? It's so that we can remind ourselves of the kind of grace that people like us need. That's what we're here for. Now, when we think about this, it also leads us to this, a merciful application. Now, let's think about the process of forgiveness. Here's the process. If you think, I want to forgive the way Jesus forgave, here is the first step. One. Determine if forbearance or forgiveness is needed. Did you notice in Colossians chapter 3, he says, forbearing or bearing with one another and forgiving. They're different. Well, what does that mean then when we think about for, uh, being forbearing? See, forbearance, the word literally means to regard with tolerance, endure, to bear up with, or to put up with. I know you're thinking in your mind, you're like, I've been putting up with a lot of people lately. You know the people that you have been forbearing with. Now, let me even mark this a little bit further. It's to be tolerant in particular relevance in dealing with people who are maybe weak at a moment or ignorant at a moment and to say, you know what, I'm going to bear up with them. Forbearance doesn't, isn't sin. Forbearance means bearing and tolerating. I don't know how marriages can exist in unity without forbearance. Because, do you notice this? You closely, shortly after you get married and all of a sudden you realize you do things different? I just remember like one of those moments I was like, why are you folding my shirt like that? It's so dumb. I folded my shirt like this my whole life. And now you want me to do it? No, no, sir. We need to bear up and say, you know what, what matters, if if this isn't a sin, then bear one another. Be able to be okay with different ways of doing things. Have preferential differences. There's a reason, by the way, God put people in your life to do things differently than you do because you don't have it all wrapped up and perfect. I needed someone else. 
to help me with things in my life and to get a close view of what's going on so that I could grow in forbearance. Forbearances are all about preferences. Forgiveness is all about sin. So the very first step is to really end up come to a conclusion. Is this a sin issue? And I'm checking my heart and I'm asking myself all those previous questions and I'm checking myself saying, you know what? If forgiveness isn't needed, I've, I've had plenty of people say, well, you know what? You need to ask forgiveness because you violated my preference. I don't need or you don't need to ask forgiveness as if you've sinned if it's a preferential matter. That's why the, the, the scripture, the totality of revelation is given to us so we can determine which one of these is needed. That's where you have to start. Is it forbearance or is it forgiveness? Don't make forgiveness forbearance. They're different, okay? Step two, determine which principle or commands of God were violated. Notice 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped unto all good works. He wants that for us. So in step two, we determine which command was violated. We go before the individual. We go before God. Because if we don't go before them and think we're going to get forgiveness from God, Matthew 6 says, if you go and don't forgive your brother, then don't think relationally you're going to be all kosher with me. There's a problem there. But if a sin occurred, go and reprove and rebuke with grace and speak the truth in love, but be restored. But this is why we look for it. Here's where I violated this. I, I spoke in anger. I was, I, was, I was more this way because God says I shouldn't be and I was. No, nail down where you violated God's commands. That helps you with this regard. Conflict is not about the other person being your enemy. Sin is your enemy. If you make the other person your enemy, then all of a sudden, every time you see them, now you're at odds with them. But if you're both take a position to say, I want to rid sin out of my life, then God is in that goal because he wants to get sin out of your life too. And he'll forgive. And if, you're, and if the people in close, close proximity to you, if they forgive, it will, it will be restored. Forgive offenses, forbear preferences. Okay? Remember, horizontally, Sin is also a sin vertically. Every time I sin against someone else, I'm also sinning against God because, I, because God's the one that laid the standard for the horizontal relationships. When I don't love other people, I am also then not loving God. Now, this becomes critical because often when we sin, people will just say, I'm sorry. They won't repent. They won't ask for forgiveness. And they'll, and they'll just let time go by. And then they'll use this time heals all wounds kind of thing. Can I just be frank with you? Time does not heal all wounds. All the, the only thing that time usually does is allow a greater propensity for bitterness. That's the only thing that it usually does. And if you allow that, that poison into your heart... You won't be a forgiving and merciful person the way God wants. Take care of sin horizontally. Correspondingly, take care of it vertically as well. Okay, you have to determine where that is. Now, step number three, confess sins before the Lord and others. Make sure you go. Don't just say, sorry, I need forgiveness for, here's what it is. I violated God's word. Please forgive me. I was loving this and I was believing this and that's not right. I need your help. Be less concerned about the other person and more concerned about you. Step number four, repent. Oh, well, you might think, well, that's obvious. But repentance and forgiveness are not as always obvious. I can know that I need forgiveness, but not repent. We do this, people do this all the time. I know, and maybe I know I'm a sinner, but... I need to go to God, but maybe I'll do that at a different season of my life when all this is worked out. Right now, I want to do this. You can know you need it, but not go after repentance. In relationships, you've got to repent to the, to the Lord and to other people and ask for forgiveness for what that is. And so often I will say to people, have you repented of that? And I was like, well, I kind of skipped that. Well, that's kind of an important part. And, and I'm going to only say that about it because next week we're going to cover 2 Corinthians 7. 
because this is so critical in the life of the fruit of repentance and forgiveness in the Christian's life. And here's step number five. Forgive as Christ forgave you. It's in the commands we've been looking at in Ephesians 4.32, in Colossians 3, Matthew 18. It's all over. It's in Luke 17, 1 to 4. If your brother sins, forgive him. Forgive as Christ forgave you. And notice this, okay? Christians are the most forgiving people in the world. Therefore, we should be the most forgiving people in the world. I love how Ken Sandy, in his book, The Peacemaker, says that. We ought to be some of the most forgiving kinds of people. Now, he gives this really helpful thing, and I want to give it to you. It's in your, it's in your paper, and we'll cover them quickly. Here's what you're promising. I will not dwell on this incident. I will not bring this incident up again and use it against you. I will not speak to others about this incident. And I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. All of that is included when you say those words, I forgive. That's what you're promising. And the goal of it is to say, I know I'm going to remember it. And I'm, when I'm speaking to myself about this situation, I've got to say, when I look, oh, they hurt me. I know they hurt me, but I love them. They did what was right, and we need grace, and I want to be a person of mercy. And so no matter where it is, I'm promising that. I don't go and, and I don't call, call mom and dad in a new marriage and say, you wouldn't believe what this new moron I just married did. No, you keep it between the marriage. This is why Matthew 18 is one-on-one, two-on-one, and then more. It's because we're trying to keep it small. People don't need to know everything. And if you promise those things, you won't go up to your greatest, your your close-knit groups of friends and say, can you believe what so-and-so did to me? Or you wouldn't go to a small group and do some kind of prayer gossip. Pray for so-and-so. They are, they just, you know, they're struggling because they hurt me. Oh, really? What did they do? Share with me these morsels. Like we get so infatuated about wanting to hear what other people's lives are. This is why social media is so, uh, is so alluring to people. Oh, I didn't know and know so-and-so did that. Like, promise to forgive and work hard at committing to those four things. And when you do, the, the, the more that I did those things in my own marriage, I can tell you what I found. Restoration and peace. Peace with God and peace with one another's in my home. The more that we practice all of these things and we do step number six, we do it again and again and again and again. And every time we do it, we remind ourselves, we forgive because he is forgiving and he's forgiven us of all of this debt. How dare we ever say, I'm not gonna forgive people and promise those four things to not hold against them what, what I shouldn't, so that I can be restored. And I can love God and love people the way he calls me to and bring glory to him through it. I pray that as you and I look to practice these principles of forgiveness, that you know what, perhaps there's people in your life that you know you've sinned against, you've wronged. Let me just tell you, why are you waiting? Don't wait to go and take care of things. Make it right. Don't, don't get comfortable with sitting in communion and then, not, and then being okay with taking a symbol of unity and yet being at odds with brothers and sisters. And remember moments where I had where you just have to step away and you have to deal with stuff and it's hard, but it's right. It's right in the eyes of God. Brothers and sisters, let's be those people. Let's be a community who's known by our love and mercy because that's what God is known by. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, for putting these principles in the word of God to help us do heart preparation. Lord, that you help us not to be people who were filled with bitterness and revenge and anger and anxiety over offenses, even though they are legitimate It's a tall order to be a person that is forgiving, and yet you 
did it with mercy and grace and with us in mind. Oh Lord, I pray that if there's even one here who has never called out to you through repentance and faith, turn from their sin and call to you for forgiveness. Lord, that they would do that today. Be restored in their relationship with you. They would begin this relationship today and they would maintain that relationship for the rest of their lives. In your name we pray, amen.